whenever I get a chance to teach here, I always enjoy it. And I get to teach other places around the States, uh, you know, a few times a year. But whenever I teach here, it's, it's my favorite place to teach within the States because I know you guys and I know many of your stories and you know me and you know many of our stories as well. And so it's just, I feel like I can teach and I feel like I can just like, just be real with you guys and, and just share my heart and so forth. And, but there's, there's other places I love teaching too around the world. And so when you're hearing Randy talk about the village that he was in or the place I can, I know where Mike's going right now. And, and I think about that, those places in my heart bends to those places too, because whenever I'm there and you, and the, here's the thing is you may wonder why are you guys always talking about the nations and why are we always talking about mission and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and is it, is it getting old? And, and let, let me just, let me just pause and tell you why. First of all, we want you to know the word. It, it's rich. It's sharp. It, it will change your life. There's truth here. It is truth in it. But when you get into it, and, and you may get into it and go, okay, but there's so much I don't understand. But you just, you you do what you do understand. You put it into action into your life, and you keep getting back into the Word. And when you do, pretty soon what you're going to see is you're going to see that God loves the world. And so we want you to know the Word, and we want you to know the world, and we want you to know these extraordinary things that God is doing all over the world. There are times that I travel and I get to hear stories that sometimes I don't know what to do with them when I come back. Um, in, in a village in, the, in South Asia where Mike's at right now, I was sitting in a, in a small room and there's 18 people or 18 um, South Asians that are packed in there and, and plus a few of us that are there teaching. And we're crammed in this really small room. About the, I mean, it's smaller than the girls' bathroom here in our church, Okay. Um, sorry guys, I can't compare it to yours because I haven't been to your bathroom. So, um, but we're crammed in and these 18 people before we came had met together a month prior and they had all accepted a challenge to do this, to go and share their faith with their family or their village. And each one of them committed to do that with 20 people in one month. So 18 people times 20, and you've got 360 people that they've committed to share their faith with in one month. And we're, so we're sitting in this crowded room, and they're, they're coming back and giving account to what has taken place. And individually, I mean, they're going, okay, I shared my faith with 15. Okay, I shared my faith with 6. Okay, I shared my faith with, with 19. Okay, I did with all 20. And so many of these became believers, and several of these were baptized. And so by the end, by the time they got done, it was like 284-something people that they had shared their faith with in their family or in their village. And 80-something of those became believers. And 30-something of those had been baptized. And a couple of churches had been started. And, I mean, it's like crazy. It's like, okay, can I take that back to my church? I mean, can we, can we take that kind of challenge and, and put it out there? Can we come back and hold each other accountable and say, okay, 20 in a month? Okay, how many? How are you doing and praying for each other? I mean, can we do that here? Because I see God working in extraordinary ways there. Even one lady who was in there, I was asking her how she became a believer. And she was telling me how someone came and prayed for her. And stay in your seats, okay? But she said that she had been demon-possessed. They prayed for her, and she had been set free. And she had gone back to her village and shared how Jesus had changed her life. And 150 people in that village came to know Christ. And many of them are coming and meeting and praying and worshiping in her house nightly. And I said, you mean weekly? She said, no. Every, I mean, she was shocked I even asked. 
No, nightly that they're doing this. But see, there's things like that that happen that I don't know what to do with those stories when I come back here. I could tell you about, about this woman from Nepal who, who she's a Buddhist and her family's Buddhist, generations of Buddhists, and she was separated from her family, went to live with some other relatives, grew up in a hard life. I don't even know all what it was. And she's telling me how she begins crying out to God. And God appears to her in a vision, and she comes to know Christ in a dream. And she begins to pray for her dad, who lives in another city. And God shows up in a dream, and him, and he comes to know Christ so that when they meet each other, they're both Christ followers, but yet they both came from Buddhist backgrounds. And some of you right now are going, is this a made-up story? And I'm telling you that God is working in incredible ways extraordinary ways around the world so much that I began to ask myself this question. And it's a question that I'm still wrestling with today. Matter of fact, if I start crying, I'm not hormonal. It's not because my girl or because my husband's out of town for a couple weeks. It's just, I mean, it really is that I'm, I'm kind of coming before you today and, and it's, it's a place I'm still wrestling. It's still very tender and it's still very raw in my heart. But I've been asking this question and I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have room? In your ordinary life for an extraordinary God? Or do you have just enough room for an ordinary God in your life? I'm talking about past the status quo. I'm talking about past the explainable cultural Christianity. I'm talking about past the stuff that we've become comfortable with. But do I have, do you have space? just in your ordinary life for God to work in an extraordinary way. I was taking Mike to the airport Thursday and um, he asked me, he said, so are you, do you feel ready for this message? And I said, no, I am not ready for this message. Matter of fact, I am, it's like God and I are in a wrestling match over this message right now. I feel like God keeps taking me back to this passage and judges about this guy named Gideon. And the thing is, is I've taught from that passage twice. And both times that I did, I felt like it was kind of like this really wimpy bass hit kind of thing. It just didn't connect, didn't really communicate. And I don't really want to go back there again, unless, unless God's saying third time's a charm, then hey, I'm in for that. Okay. But I don't really want to go back there again. It kind of scares me a little bit. And so I'm wrestling with God. God, is this really what you mean to share with, with my family, with my friends? And then I came across a verse that same morning in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, that it, it says this. It says that Jesus chose 12 and he called them apostles and he wanted them to be with him and he wanted to send them out to preach. Now, let me pause for a minute because when I read this verse, it's like one of those verses that, that like if God could slap you upside the head, this was a slap upside the head. Okay, now am I read it again and you're going to go, okay, I'm not feeling anything. (laughs) Okay, Jesus chose 12 and he called them apostles and he wanted them to be with him and he wanted to send them out to preach. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking that just completely like in very short few words sums up how God is relating to his people. He chooses us. He calls us. He's with us. He's close to us. And then he commissions us and sends us out. And so I'm telling this to Mike. I said, Mike, do you see that? He calls us. He's close and he commissions. And Mike says in true fashion, preacher fashion anyway, he says, well, that'll preach. And I said, well, I'm glad it'll preach, but I need you to fix it. (laughs) 
Before you get on the plane, what am I supposed to do with, with this verse that I just got whacked upside the head with by, by God and, and this other passage that I feel like I'm just like this wrestling match. And so I went home and, and I took that verse in Mark and I began to lay it over the passage in, in, in Judges that we're going to look at in a minute and, and Gideon's life. And I began to see that, that there's a pattern here. Matter of fact, there's a pattern all through Scripture where God chooses. And how many times in Scripture does God say, I am with you. I am with you. And then he sends us. He tells us to go. And so we're going to lay it over that scripture here in just a moment. Open up your your Bible to the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. And turn to chapter 6. And just kind of get prepared there. We're going to look at some passages there in just a moment. You're also going to need your phone. No kidding, okay? So you're going to need your phone here in just a little bit. We're going to take a poll by doing a text, okay? And we're going to, we'll see how we all rank in here. Um, but what I want to do before we dive in to this passage in Judges and, and kind of peek into a conversation, a private conversation that Gideon is having with God, I want to give some bookends to it, okay? So... Gideon is this guy. He's this leader that God chooses. And what happens to Gideon is he goes from zero to hero. Okay? After God convinces him that, hey, hey, Gideon, I'm really going to use you, Gideon becomes like this warrior kind of guy. Now, they've got this enemy that's against them, and we'll talk about them in just a minute. But the enemy has 135,000 in their army. And so Gideon sends out this plea, and he's able to raise up 32,000 Israelites to go against 135,000. Now, if you do the math, that's one to four ratio. Not great, okay, but probably not where you want to be in battle. But God comes to Gideon and he says, you know what, Gideon, that's really too many for me because what I'm afraid of is you're going to go to battle, you guys are going to win, and you guys are going to think that you did it by your own hand, but I want the glory from this. And so Gideon, what I want you to do is I want you to go and find out who are all the scaredy cats. And I want you to tell them to pack their bags and send them home to mama. Okay? So he goes and 22,000 of the soldiers go running home to mama because they're too afraid to fight in the battle. So now he's got 10,000 left. And God says, hey, Gideon, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find out. I want you to take everybody down by the river. And whoever's got the worst manners and they lick up the water like a dog, that's who I want you to keep. And so Gideon watches all the men and those who have the worst manners and lap up the water like a dog. Gideon keeps and he ends up with 300. Now, I don't know if you're really quick at math or not, but 300 to 135,000 is one to 450 soldiers. Impossible. And so Gideon takes his army and they, they go out across the hilltops and they spread out and they're, they're flanking the enemy that's down here in the valley. And all they have to them is a torch and trumpets and some clay jars that are over the torch. And when the trumpets blow and they bust the jars and the, the, they let out this cry, the enemy starts fighting each other and then they start fleeing. And God gets the glory. So Gideon is this, this zero guy who becomes a hero. And he becomes a leader. He becomes somebody that God uses to tell a great story, not about Gideon, but really about how God worked. Now, so that's one bookend over here. 
Okay. Now I want you to come over to this side and we're going to come back to the middle. I want to go over to this side on this side of the book. And let's put this in context in history. So you've heard the story about Moses crossing the Red Sea. He delivers the Israelites out of slavery. They go and they wander in the wilderness for a few years. And then Joshua takes them into the promised land and they're following hard after God. But when Joshua dies, everything changes. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, I want you to look there. It says this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And in verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, which were idols, and they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they went after other gods and they provoked the Lord to anger. And so this is the time period that we're in. So God begins to raise up leaders that he calls judges. And so in verse 18, it says, and whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and they were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And if we would go through the first two chapters in Judges, you would see this constantly. The God would raise up a judge and they would follow the Lord. And when that judge would die, the people would go back and they would go after idols and they would do evil inside of the Lord. And God would raise up a judge and they would follow God and then they would do evil in the sight of it. And it's like this roller coaster of spirituality. And this is what Gideon is born into. This is his paradigm. This is what he knows. This is his life. And the reason I want you to see the bookends before we jump into the middle is because here's what we tend to do. I do this. You guys do this. Is we tend to look at someone's life and what they've become and what they've accomplished and what they've done. And we even begin to rank ourselves compared to them. Right? And so we see everything that Gideon does, but sometimes we don't see the process of what God does in people's heart to get them over here where they are. I had lunch not too long ago with a young woman and she, uh, she, she made a statement to me, something about how, you know, Mike and I are so mission minded and so forth. And I just looked at her and I just said, you know, it hasn't always been that way. And she just kind of like dropped her jaw. She was shocked that, you know, I think she thought that we were just raised as toddlers and just going around the world, traveling, packing our suitcases and telling people about Jesus or something. I don't know. And so I said, no, it, it really hasn't been that way at all. Matter of fact, our, our thinking was this. Okay, we love Jesus. We love God. God had called us in the ministry. But our thinking for a time was you go to a church and this success looks like you, that church gets bigger. And then you go to a little bit bigger church. And that success looks like you go to a bigger church and then you go to a bigger church and then you go to a bigger church. And I don't, I don't even know what happens after that. I guess you die and you succeeded. I'm not real sure. Okay. We didn't get that far. But Mike comes home from the Ukraine one day and he was sitting on the couch. I can still picture it in my mind. I'm holding Jordan. She's three months old. Okay. I'm holding her and he begins to tell me and say, I cannot stay here. I cannot continue to preach Jesus to people who have heard it and keep going back every Sunday and tell them when there are so many people that I just met 
in another country who have never heard, I can't stay here. Now, in my mind, I'm not, missions was never, ever on my radar. I never even thought of myself as a missionary. My best attempt to win people to Jesus was when I was in the 12th grade and I went on a short-term volunteer mission trip to Branson. You laugh, but they need Jesus there too, okay? And we're doing vacation Bible school with these kids. And dangerously, at that time in the 12th grade, I was the teacher. And I really, I mean, I loved God. I loved these kids. And and so I'm teaching them. We're teaching the, the different colored bracelet thing. And I'm teaching them about heaven and hell. And, and so we got finished talking about heaven. And so I had this brilliant, creative idea that I would take a cigarette lighter. And I flicked the little flame. And I lined up all the little innocent children. And I had them come walk across and hold their hand over the flame as long as they could. And then they would take it away, you know, and and they would go sit down. And I said, now that's what hell feels like. (laughs) And I know you'll be shocked, but every one of them gave their life to following Jesus Christ that day. And so you look at, you're tempted, perhaps, to look at what we do now and go, well, it just is so easy. It just is so whatever. And I just want to tell you that you've got to back up. That, that God did in our ordinary life extraordinary things to get us to where we even are today. And I don't even know what's beyond that yet. But I mean, to do some, I was in my ordinary life holding my three-month-old. Thank you very much. And God does extraordinary things. And he wants to create space in our life to do extraordinary things in us. So let's look at Gideon's life. And let's see if we can answer this question. How does God create space for extraordinary work? So let's look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came... And set under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. I love pronouncing Hebrew names. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now pause. Okay, just pause for a minute. So where's Gideon? He's hiding in a winepress, beating wheat. Why? He's hiding from the Midianites. If we backed up just a few verses, and we're not going to read it all, I just want you to get it into context. The Midianites for years have been coming into Israel. The Israelites would plant their crops. The Israelites would plant their crops. And the Midianites would come, and they would bring their camels, and they would bring their donkeys. And the scripture says there were so many of them, they were like locusts, you couldn't count them. And so they would, they would come in, they would bring their tents, and they would camp out in the Israelite land, and they would bring their, their lawn chairs and their grills, and they would grill the sheep, and they would roast the corn. And by the time they left, Israel had no crops and no animals left. So Israel was completely oppressed by the Midianites. And so Gideon is beating wheat and hiding out so he's not caught. And he's doing it in the wine press instead of the open where you normally would do it. So let's pick up in chapter 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of these wonderful deeds that our fathers 
recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. I want to tell you this. The first thing that God does when he wants to create space to do something extraordinary is God interrupts your routine. He's going to interrupt normal so that he can transform your life into a new normal. Gideon is hiding out. He's oppressed. He's afraid. He's a mess. Let me just put it this way. When God interrupts us, it's not really ever convenient. You know, Mike just spent the last few weeks taking us on this, um, what, what a quest could look like and journeying with God and, and some of those spiritual disciplines of getting alone with God and getting in his word and getting quiet and getting silent or what it would look like to actually manage our wealth so that we're giving away more to people in need. And so he began to take us on this quest. And I want to tell you this is, as you are maybe kind of wrestling with some of those things, I hope you just didn't come in and receive it. I hope you're going out and trying to figure out how to reproduce it into your life. But as you're doing that, I want to tell you this, God is not going to wait for you to get your 401k just right before he's going to come and ask you to give to somebody in need. He isn't going to wait for you to get that promotion so that you can go and make this decision. He isn't going to wait till all your kids leave the house and then come to you and say, hey, I want you to do this. He isn't going to wait for all your kids to take a nap at the same time. He's going to show up at the most inconvenient times according to your clock and according to your watch. But God wants to interrupt the ordinary. It might even be a small nudge, guys. It may be that nudge that you're getting and that Holy Spirit is working in you that is telling you, you know what? You never prayed out loud with your wife. Why don't you pray together? And you're beginning to have this argument with God in your head. It may be that nudge, moms, as you're taking your child to the park or you're walking, you pass that woman by every day and God just keeps nudging you. You know what? You you need to go and talk to that woman. But you begin this argument in your head just like Gideon did. And God is saying to you, I am with you. And you are a warrior. Now stop. Think about everything that we've said about Gideon, except for this bookend. Would you have looked at Gideon's life and said, he's a warrior? But God looks at him and assesses this to be true. You know, Mike was really sick last weekend. And so he was up all night, Friday night, with a stomach virus. And I thought, I am not getting sick. So I had the gloves and I had the bleach in one hand and the Lysol in the other. So every time he got up, I got up right behind him. And I'm telling you, there was not a germ left in that bathroom by the time I was done. So he, we get up Saturday morning and he drags himself out of bed and he's sitting on the couch and I drag myself out of bed and, and I go sit on the couch beside, well, kind of near him, not too close. And um, I said, how are you feeling? And he looks at me and he says, you're beautiful. Now, I haven't had a cup of coffee yet, okay? And I know good and well that that ain't so, that those words were not truth. Because I went to the bathroom and I took a photo of what I saw. (laughs) 
You can take it down now. That's long enough. I did not believe him. I thought he had a fever. He was delirious, something. But isn't it also true that in whatever circumstance that you're in right now, and whatever it is, a decision or a struggle, that I could open up, we could open up the word, and I could say to you that it says in here that you are more than a conqueror. And would you believe it? Or I could read to you where it says that you are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ. And you're arguing your head, but I don't know that I have value. I don't really know that I have worth. I don't even know that my life's even making a difference. I don't even know that what I'm doing is even really, really counting. And God is going, but you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you could do them, so that you could walk in them. And God says to Gideon, Gideon, you are a warrior. God's assessment of who we are is filtered through the lens of who he is in us. The second thing that God does to create space for extraordinary is God shakes up our definition of who we think we are and who we think that he is. Let's look at verse 14. It says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And then Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Now, for quite a while, I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. And if I did, it would say, live out loud. But this week, as I was wrestling with God in the scripture, and I was looking up other translations and how they they took the words, there was a translation that says this, that God said to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. And I've decided I don't want live out loud. I want now tattoo, go in the strength that you had. So it's probably a good idea I didn't get the first tattoo since I've already changed my mind, all right? Go in the strength that you have. And, and the thing is, is, is you need to understand why that resonates so well with me. You know, we evaluate people on the outside by what we see. And, and you could go to my Facebook page right now, and you could easily come away from my Facebook page, and you would deduce this, that I'm kind of an adventurer. Um, I like to be, do daredevilish things. Some of you might think it's just really stupid to jump off a perfectly good bridge, things like that. Okay. And so that's how you, because that's how I'm wired and that's how I have fun. And, and that's just something I enjoy doing. Okay. But that's the outside Lori McDaniel on the inside Lori McDaniel. Those of you who know me very well know that what I'm about to say is so true. You could probably say, amen. I am paralyzed by fear. Constantly terrified. I mean, I will overanalyze, over, I get overwhelmed completely, even trying to figure out what God wants me to speak to you today, and I will get paralyzed by fear. What is your default struggle that you go to? We're going to take a poll here in a minute. I'm going to ask you that question. But we're going to do a practice poll first so that everybody kind of learns how to do this. Okay, so you need to get your phone out. 
And what you're going to do is you're going to put in the top part the number 22333, text code 2, 22333, okay? And then if your answer is yes, you're going to do where the arrow is pointing, 301667. If your answer is no, you'll do the one over on your far right. Now, the question is, do you think Mike should do a handstand up here on the stage with all you guys in the background? I think you should, personally, okay? But you can vote, okay? So go ahead and text your vote. So let's make sure everybody knows how to do this, okay? You guys all with me? We've got four votes so far. Five. Wow. Okay, here we go. All right, so we can see pretty much that I think everybody, only one, per, one person voted no. Who are you? You are, no, you are not my friend. <laughs> what? Now everybody's going to start voting no. That's great. Okay. All right, so we're going to go to the next question, okay? So now that you kind of know how to do this. <laughs> Somebody's just rang. That's funny. All right, so here's the question I want you to answer next, and I want you to be thinking about it. What is your go-to struggle? What is your default struggle? When God begins to ask you to do something, what is it that you fall easily into? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Or is it feeling alone? Pick one. You know, C.S. Lewis had a quote. He, he says, um, you know you found a friend when you find yourself thinking, what, you too? I thought I was the only one, right? And so you can see that in this room right here, there are people that grossly deal with insecurity, with fear and anger and feeling alone, not too far behind. We are a room full of afraid, insecure people. And one thing that I've had to do is I've had to figure out what are the questions that I, on the inside, that nobody hears on the outside, that I'm asking myself. What are those questions? I call them my what if questions. And I have to change my what if questions because here's what my what if question could sound like. What if God doesn't show up? But I got to change it to something like, but what if he does? Or I might say, but what if I fail? And I've got to change it to, but what if God does the impossible? What if I don't have all the blanks filled in? But what if God reveals it to you as you go? Do you see how that works? And so we've got to change our what if questions. And scripture kind of does this somewhat for us. There's scripture that you can, you can Google it. There's a lot more that we're about to put up on the screen. But, but we just call them the but God scriptures. Usually our prayers sound, think, sound like something like this. God, but I can't because, da, 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 okay? But you need to flip it and it needs to be, but God. My heart and my flesh fell, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. The tomb took him down from the cross and laid him, or they took him down from a cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the tomb what is it that you need to latch on to that is your not god but i can't because i'm too small and i'm too weak what is it that you need to flip but god i am weak but god fill in the blank i am too afraid but god i am too insecure but god so that there becomes space for God to do extraordinary work in your ordinary life. God is on a mission 
We see that in scripture. He's invited us to participate in that mission. And you may be chained to your past. You may be sitting here right here, right now in pain, but I've heard it put this way. It can either be your weakness or it can be your witness. And so God wants to take it and he wants to mold it and he wants to shape it. Not so that it's a story about you. So there's extraordinary work and it becomes a story about God. Let me challenge you to pray this prayer. God, do something in me that can only be explained by you. God, do something with me that can only be explained by you. God said again to Gideon, Gideon's going back and forth with God and he says, Gideon, I am with you. You're going to defeat them as if you were one man. And we know the end story, but this is the private internal story with God. Gideon, I am with you. And it brought me back to that verse in Mark. And I thought God interrupts our call or God interrupts us to call us so that he can be with us, so that he can send us. If we could separate out God's words that he said in this passage, this is what it would sound like. I am with you, O mighty warrior. Have I not sent you? Go in the strength that you have. I am with you. Now let's look at Gideon's words over here. If God is with me, then why is all of this happening to me? And has he not forgotten us? And where's the good that all of the stories that I've heard? And I am the least and I am the weakest in my family. And can you hear the opposing things here? John and Peter, after Jesus had died and was resurrected, the Holy Spirit came and in Acts 4.13, it says this. And when the people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, this, was a, this would be a terrible thing to be perceived. They were uneducated, ordinary, common men. But the people were astonished. They were amazed. And you don't manufacture amazement. You don't manufacture extraordinary. You experience awe. You experience amazement, amazement because it's something that is birthed when experienced with God. And the end of that verse says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So you lay it out on the line. I mean, what is that decision? What is that struggle? What is that fear? What is it that God is asking you to do that you've been doing the Gideon back talk with God? but I can't. And if you really are here, then how come this? And why not that? And I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like you forgot me. And I'm so small. And God is just going, would, you, would somebody, would somebody please just stand up and tell me their life story? I mean, I would, I would love to hand a microphone right now to people because you would hear, I think, the realness of heart, the rawness of people's lives and where they're struggling, and where they need to see God. And you wouldn't know how to pray for them. And I think if that happened, we'd start seeing God working in extraordinary ways that could only be explained by him. I wanted to put up a poll on there, and I didn't dare do it. Um, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say, so in the last month, you know, how many people have you shared your story with? How many people have you shared the gospel with? And I thought, no, that... 
that's going to come across like, ooh, sting, burn. Um, but if I did put up this poll, how many of you guys believe that God is real? Yes, 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 yes. How many of you guys believe that, that this word is powerful and true? Yes, 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 yes. How many of you believe that Jesus changes lives? Yes, 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 yes. And then if I could ask you, then, then why aren't we like sharing that life change with the people out there? Is it because we're still caught in, in the mess? You see, the, the victory didn't happen just real quick with Gideon. He had to experience still God and, and he put some tests out before God, but he ultimately comes and he says, and he realizes the Lord is peace in the middle of his mess. And he moves forward, not knowing exactly where God is going to lead him, but believing that God is going to reveal it as he obeys. And so I don't know what God may be even leading you. And and I even, in the first service, I felt even kind of guilty because um, you could tell it's kind of raw in my heart. And I hate ending on such a heavy note. But I do think it demands an answer. Do you have space in your life for God to do an extraordinary work in your ordinary day? at the office, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your marriage that's struggling, in your finances that you don't really know how to balance it all, in your kids that you're not really sure how to raise. And some of you are sitting in here right now. And you're thinking, I think I want to believe in this Jesus. I'm just not really sure yet. What are you waiting for? Come to him. Let him change your life. And then I will tell you this, it ain't going to be easy. It is not going to be easy, right, believers? It won't be easy. You won't, but now you've got a big God, an extraordinary God walking with you on a daily basis, who I know this, even when I doubt, is peace and is hope and is strength. God, I um, just come before you right now and God, just behalf of everybody here, I know I feel this way. I think I can speak for everyone else here that God, we just... We are small. Matter of fact, we're, we're so small that we're even stuck. And we're so accustomed to where we are, even in the mess that we are, that because sometimes we don't even see where you want to work. But God, I pray that you would jolt us in our homes in our thought life, in what we're looking at on a computer, in some other addiction that we've got in our relationships. God, in refusing to tell the story of life change that you've given us. God, thank you for your salvation. God, let us not hoard it, but let us work out our salvation and go and proclaim it. In Jesus' name.